Exodus 16, 1 through 30. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which, had, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when it, we sat by the meat pots and ate bread in the, to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us and the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am out of, about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when, the peop when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings that you grumble against him, what are we? Your, grumblings, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone, uh, gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When, they cover, uh, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to the people, or said to them, Let no one leave any of it till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. And when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, when they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, they said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside and be, to be kept till morning. 
So they laid aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and it, there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord, and today you will f f not find it in the field. The sixth day you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the, the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, you shall have bread for two days. Remain each of you in, this, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Thanks, Travis and Naomi. Well, I was talking to the, the Reynolds a second ago. I think everybody who's here on this rainy day gets 10 spiritual brownie points. So I'll make sure to let, uh, to let David know. Um, 10 spiritual brownie points for everybody. Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ways that you provide for us. Thank you that even today, on this rainy Sunday morning, that you've provided homes, you've provided tents, you've provided uh, people that have come out to serve, to play music, to do the sounds. God, thank you for all the ways that you provide for us. Thank you for our fathers, and thank you for being our Heavenly Father, who loves us perfectly. And God, I just pray for our hearts this morning. I pray for myself. I pray that this morning your word, your word would be clear. And Holy Spirit, please just take it and pierce our hearts with it. Help us to understand it. Help us to believe it. Help us to obey it. And help us to be able to teach it to others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Just to, a little bit of background so we can understand what's going on in this passage that Travis and, and Naomi just, just read. Um, so the people of Israel, they were in Egypt, and they were slaves. They were treated very brutally. They cry out to God, ask God to save them. He saves them. He brings them out of Egypt. And kind of the, the climax of God rescuing his people out of Egypt is what we talked about last week, which is when they get to the Red Sea, there's this huge body of water in front of them. There's the most powerful army in the world at the time bearing down on them from behind. You know, they're scared. And God literally, he opens the sea and lets them walk right through it. And then when the Egyptians try to follow, he causes the sea to come back together and, and they're drowned. And his enemies and the enemies of his people are, are destroyed. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the great rescue, the exodus out of Egypt. And so God didn't just promise that he was going to take his people out of Egypt. He promised that he was going to take them out of Egypt and he was going to give them the land of Canaan. He was going to give them the land of Canaan for their new home. The land of Canaan, it's a little bit maybe like Cary, North Carolina is now. You know, you meet people that are like, you know, how long have you been here? Oh, six months, a year. Um, do you have family here? No, we just kind of looked at, 
you know, what's a nice place to live? And Cary, North Carolina comes up. You know, there's a lot of people that are wanting to move here. And if you're like me, you're trying to buy a house, not easy to buy a house, right? Um, but it, this is a very desirable place to live. And, and that's kind of the way the land of Canaan was. It was very beautiful, very fertile. It was called the land flowing with milk and honey. So it's a very desirable place to be. It's a place everybody wants to be. And so God had promised that he's going to take his people out of Egypt and he's going to take them into this beautiful new home, this very desirable, very fertile, very, very, uh, very good new home, the, the promised land in Canaan. But the, the difficulty is that between Egypt uh, and then the land of, of Canaan over here, in the middle, you've got a, a big desert, Okay, you've got a big desert. And so the people of Israel at this point in the story, they've come out of Egypt, they've passed through the Red Sea, and, and they've started to walk. So have, God's going to lead them through the desert, out of Egypt, through the desert, and into the, the promised land. And so they're starting, at this point in the story, it's about six weeks after they've left Egypt, and they're starting to walk through the promised land, or walk through the desert on their way to the promised land, and they are getting sick and tired of, of the desert. It, it's hot, uh, it's dry, there's very little water, very little food, and the people start complaining. And not just complaining a, a little bit, but they're really upset. They're, I mean, they're, they're saying to Moses, you know, why, I mean, remember, a, a few months ago, they were just begging somebody to bring them out of Egypt. But now, they're saying to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Why did you take us out of Egypt just to starve us here in, in the wilderness? So their attitude has changed a lot. And so what God does is he hears his people again, um, doesn't get mad at Adam at this point, and he, he provides for him. He, he provides f uh, bread and he provides water and he even provides meat. So he, he's taking care of his people. That's kind of basically what's happening here. And if we're going to zoom out a little bit and kind of look at the big picture, there's actually something else that's happening sort of beneath the surface. And that's what, that's what the, the text is talking about in verse 4, when God says that he is going to test his people. He says um, that I may test them to know whether they will walk in my law or not. So what's happening here is that God is testing his people. And He's, by testing his people, what I mean is that God, he's putting them in a position when there's pressure, when there's difficulty, and he's going to see what are they going to do. Are they going to trust God and obey God, or are they going to not trust God and then, and then disobey God? And specifically, the way the test works is kind of like this. You know, so... So the way God provides the, the bread is every morning when the people wake up and they come out of, their, out of their tents, there's this kind of like flaky, filmy, there's this fine layer of this like flaky bread type stuff that's all over, all over the ground. And it's, it's bread. You can eat it and it actually tastes uh, pretty decent. It's a little bit sweetened. Um, but it, it's all over the ground. And so God tells them, you know, every morning you get up, you take your basket, and you go out and you, you gather as much as your family needs for that day. But the test comes in because God says, God promises them, I'm going to give you this every single day. Every single day, except for 
for the seventh day, and we'll, we'll talk about the seventh day in a few weeks when we hit the Ten Commandments and talking about the, the fourth commandment. But God says, every single day, I'm going to provide this, this bread. They, they called it manna. And so, God's saying, I want you to trust me, and the way you show that you trust me is that when you go out, you only gather enough of the, the bread for your family to eat today. You don't try to get a week's worth. You don't try to get two days worth. And in doing that, what they're saying is, God, I trust that you, you're providing today and you're going to provide tomorrow too. So I'm just going to take enough for today. And if you're familiar with, with your Bible, that might sound a little bit familiar. You think about Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So there's this idea of relying on God day by day. He'll give me enough today for what I need today. You know, each, tr each day has enough troubles of its own. Let tomorrow worry about itself, right? And so th that's the test. But, you know, some of the people, they do what probably we would do. They say, well, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, God provided today, but, you know, just to, he'll probably provide tomorrow, but just to be safe, I'm going to get a little bit extra. And so they try to get two days worth or a week's worth or something like that and keep it in their tent, and, and it goes bad. And then they end up looking, looking kind of stupid because it gets all wormy and moldy and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of the test. And, and so what do, we, what do we learn from this? God's testing his people. He's providing for them, but in such a way that they can still choose whether they're going to trust and obey or not trust and, and disobey. So what can we learn from this? Well, So the big question here, and really the big question in all of, throughout the entire storyline of the Bible, is are God's people going to trust that he is going to take care of them? Are God's people going to trust that he is going to take care of them? And yeah, this is the question for them back then, and this is really the question for us today. Do we believe that God is going to take care of us. And so just like the people, you know, remember last week we said one of the questions that we ask uh, when we're looking at these passages to figure out what it has to do with our lives is we ask, how is my situation today on a rainy Sunday, Father's Day morning in 2021 in Cary, North Carolina, or um, whatever you're doing, how is my situation today similar to the situation that's being described in Exodus 16. And one way it's similar is that, you know, we might not be in the desert, but just like they were facing pressure, they were facing uncertainty, and we face pressure and uncertainty today as well. And so the big question is, when we face this uncertainty and this pressure, are we going to trust that God's going to take care of us and then obey him? Or are we going to, to not trust and then disobey like some of the Israelites did? And last week we talked about how that in this situation where we're being tested, where we're, um, you know, are we going to trust God or not, we have an enemy. And we said it's real easy for us to think in, in the heat of day-to-day -day life that our enemy is our boss who treats us unfairly or that spouse who doesn't understand us or those kids that don't listen to us or politicians or, or whomever. But our enemy is Satan. Our, our true enemy is Satan. 
And typically the way Satan will attack us, it's not by, you know, maybe some of those things that we might think of like, oh, he's going he's gonna to make me see a ghost and he's going to scare me or something. It's usually not like that. Typically the way Satan attacks us is with his lies by trying to get us to doubt God's truth and to believe Satan's lies instead. So a good question to ask in these situations and in every situation is, what lie is Satan wanting me to believe in this situation? And I think the lie that Satan, you know, I think he's kind of whispering this lie to the people in Exodus 16. I think to us today as well is he kind of says something like this. He'll say, you know, okay, sure God has taken care of you before, but how do you know he's going to take care of you this time? And again, he's, he's tricky. He, he's, a, he's a con artist. He's not obvious. He's not just going to say, God's never done anything for you ever, so God's terrible. You know, he, do, he doesn't usually say that. He'll say, yeah, well, I mean, sure, God, I'm not, I'm not denying that God has done some things for you in the past, but how do you know he's going to take care of you this time? I mean, sh- sure, he provided the Passover lamb, yeah, he opened the Red Sea for you and let you walk through. But maybe this time's different. How do you know that he's going to take care of you this time? And as I think about this, it, it makes me think a little bit of, this might seem like a, a funny analogy, but go with me with it. it. It reminds me of being on an airplane. I don't know if anybody uh, that's watching this or listening to this is afraid of flying, I'm afraid of flying, which is, uh, which was inconvenient when we were living on the other side of the world, but that's kind of a different story. But um, so when I'm on an airplane and you hit turbulence, right, there's, if you're like me, when we hit turbulence on an airplane, there's two thoughts that go through my mind at about exactly the same time. The first thought is, that flying is the safest way to travel and that you're much more likely to die in a car crash than a plane crash. Have you heard this stuff before? Flying is the safest way to travel. Don't worry, it'll be fine. That's the first thought. The second thought that goes through my mind is everybody who's ever died in a plane crash at some point during that crash probably said, don't worry, Flying is the safest way to travel. You're more likely to die in a car crash than you are a plane crash. And so that's kind of the way I'm thinking. It's like, you know, I know what the stats are, but maybe this is the time. You know, like I know before I've been in turbulence, it turned out okay. Maybe this is the time that all, that my fears come true. And I think that's what Satan wants us to believe. You know, maybe this is the time. Sure, God's been there for you before, but man, I mean, how much are you going to expect from God? You don't expect he's just going to kind of give and give and give and give and give forever, do you? Like, surely he's given you so much. Like, surely he's going to, surely he's going to cut you off at some point, right? So that's what Satan wants us to think. On the other hand, the truth that God tells us, look with me at Romans 8, 32. This is one of the most comforting passages in Scripture for me as I think about this. Romans 8, 32. 
It says, and Paul's talking about God's love. He says, talking about God, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what is he saying here? Basically, what God is saying to us is that Satan wants you to believe the fact that God has taken, care, has taken care of you in the past, you know, that doesn't necessarily prove he's going to take care of you this time. But what God tells us is that the fact that God has taken care of us before is proof that he is going to take care of us this time and that he's going to take care of us forever. And listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I've already given you my son. I've given you Jesus. I've, I've allowed my son to be sacrificed for you. The fact that I've done that is not proof that you're about to run out of chances. The fact that I've given you so much in the past is proof that I am all in on you. That all you have to do is to trust me, to receive my grace, to receive my love. And there is nothing that can separate you from that love. The fact that I provide, you think about it for the Israelites, God's thinking, I destroyed Egypt for you. I, I, I literally parted the sea for you. I'm not just going to let you starve. So the fact that God's saying, the fact I've provided for you in the past, that I've taken care of you in the past, is proof that I'm going to continue to do that today and all throughout the future. Well, if you're like me and you hear that, maybe you think, maybe your mind immediately goes to things in your life. I don't know, maybe things in your life or times in your life that you've prayed, that you've, that you've quote unquote trusted God and it felt like you didn't get what you were praying for. Has anybody had an experience like that where you, you know, there's something that you really want that you've maybe prayed for for a long time and, and God hasn't, God hasn't given it to you yet. And that, that doubt can kind of creep into our minds where we say, okay, isn't that kind of proof that sometimes God provides, but sometimes he, he doesn't provide? And we can start to have that doubt. Well, what I want to do um, just as we close here is I, I want to sh- talk about four, four promises that God gives us today. And obviously God promises us that if we trust in him, he'll forgive our sins, he'll make us one with Christ, he'll give us eternal life. But these things are not things that we'll get one day in heaven. These are four things that God promises to you today. This is the, just like God said to the Israelites, you know, every day I'm going to give you, I'm going to provide this, this manna for you. These are things, this is the, some of the daily bread that God promises to provide for us. Okay, and remember we said a few weeks ago that we can always, because God is good, we can trust that goodness and mercy will follow us and that even in the toughest circumstances, there'll be, there'll be good surprises that, that kind of just sneak up on us. I'm like, wow, I never expected God to do that. And, and that's God's goodness. But when God gives us a promise, we can, we can really grab onto that. 
You know, and, and we need to, especially in those tough times or in those times when um, it feels like we're, we're not getting things that we want or things that we need. So here, here's four promises. Again, not about, you know, a thousand years from now when we're in heaven, but, but right now that, that, we can, that we can trust that God's going to give to us. Number one, God promises to meet our basic needs. He promises to meet our basic needs. Matthew 6, 33 says, it says, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live or things like that. Your heavenly father knows. Again, Liv was talking before about our, our perfect heavenly father. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, you know, that doesn't mean that you'll be able to afford the house that you want to afford. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to go out to eat as often as you'd like to go out to eat. It doesn't mean um, that you're going to be able to retire as soon as or the way that you'd like to retire. But God promises that he's going to meet our basic needs. That's number one. Number two, God promises that he's going to give you friends. He promises that he's going to give you friends. Another passage that's extremely comforting to me, and this is in Mark 10, Mark 10, 29 through 31. And here Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to them that there is nobody who has left fathers or mothers or sisters or brothers or sons and daughters or husband or wife or land or houses that won't receive a hundredfold in this life. And in the age to come, you'll inherit eternal life. What does he mean by that? What he means is that God, when we trust in Christ, we not only become his singular child, we become part of a spiritual family. And, and you know, like Liv was saying earlier, maybe your personal relationship with your father is just a huge source of pain and a huge source of, of disappointment. But not only do you have a heavenly father, you have you have spiritual fathers all, all around you. And we have an only child like myself. You have spiritual brothers and sisters. You have spiritual sons and daughters. The, the God, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not going to feel sometimes that, oh, I thought that person was my friend, but then they, they ghosted me or they stabbed me in the back. Um, it doesn't mean that incredibly painful things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that our friends are going to be the, the people that we would expect or the people that we would choose. But God promises that he is going to put people around us to love us and encourage us. That's number two. Number three, he promises to give us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest for, my, for, for your souls. God promises that he's not going to force you to work so hard that you're going to die of exhaustion. Now, sometimes, like, again, thinking about the Sabbath, one of the hardest things was for the people to remember to rest on the Sabbath. They just, they refused to do it. And sometimes for us, God's providing the opportunity to rest, but because we want more, we want more money or we want more success or, or, or whatever the reason is, we, we refuse to rest. 
right? But God promises he's always going to provide us that, that rest. It might mean that we need to humble ourselves and ask others to help us, but he's always going to provide that rest for us. And finally, God promises that he's going to give us opportunities to do things that make a difference in the lives of people around us. He promises that he will give us things to do that are going to make a genuine difference in the lives of people around us. John 15 and 16 says, Jesus says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would bear much fruit, fruit that's going to last for all of eternity. And again, this doesn't mean that you're going to have the title that you want to have. It doesn't mean you're going to have the status that you want to have. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to achieve everything that you might set out to achieve. But it does mean that wherever you are and whatever you do, God is going to provide opportunities for you to use the gifts that he has given you to make a difference in the lives of others. Well, just as we close here, I want to encourage us to remember these promises and remember that Jesus, Jesus is in, in, uh, in John 6, Jesus says, you know, your fathers, he, he's thinking about this passage in Exodus 16 and he says, you know, your fathers way back then, they ate the manna in the wilderness and guess what? They still died. But Jesus says, I am the bread. And he's thinking about this manna. He says, talking about himself, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will never die. So Jesus is the ultimate bread that came down from heaven. And he is the absolutely conclusive proof that God has taken care of us in the past. He will take care of us today. And he will take care of us forever. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And we ask you again to help our unbelief. I pray for myself. I know so often I can, I can be unsatisfied with the things that you give me. But thank you that you're always good. You always love me. You always bless me. You always take care of me. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that we would be able to cling to your promises. And that you would even use us in each other's lives to be your hands and your feet so we can be your instruments in providing for and caring for the needs of, of each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.